and uh, it was probably a great idea that we could have our time to think through the evening and watch it play out and all its uh, excitement and uh, uh, uncertainty and madness that we're going to get to today. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we were not live with you last night, but I am glad we're live with you today. Um, Greg, how are you? I'm all right, Justin. I'm particularly glad we weren't live yesterday because, you know, I would hate to have the stuff that I might have said before the results came in read back to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I, I actually believe the polls. I thought things would be much different. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the polling is something that I think we should we should tackle early because this is now, you know, one data point is uh, maybe an outlier, two data points, a trend. Um, uh, and um so I think we should talk about that as well. Um, so Greg and I have decided that we are going to be unstructured today. We have no agenda and no guests, and we're taking liberties as our hosts and uh, as being hosts and kind of engaging in this national politics conversation with you over the past several years now, um, and but in particular the election season, to just share some of our thoughts and some of our concerns. And um, I'll... One of the things I'll start with is that if you happen to be following along Bush School events, you'll know that on Monday we had an event, uh, What's Next event, with some uh, Bush School professors that have uh, visited with us on the podcast before. And one of the things we were talking about was if this is not a clear victory, um, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean if it wasn't a big Biden victory or a large Biden victory as the as the polls were suggesting that we were going to have, uh, was going to be significantly in favor in uh, Joe Biden's, uh, in Joe Biden's direction, even more so than it was predicted in Hillary Clinton's favor in 2016. The polls were even more decisive. Um, and, um, but we, we started talking about, you know, what does this mean for the next steps? What does this mean for our country? What does it mean in case it's not clear? And um, unfortunately, that's kind of where we are. Um, it's not completely clear who's going to win the election, although um, there's some evidence maybe pointing in a direction that we'll get to, but it's not entirely clear from the Electoral College um, who will win. Now, it looks like the popular vote is going to go in Joe Biden's direction by a few million when this is kind of said and done. So from that vantage point, there's a clear by a, by a few million uh, majority in favor of Joe Biden, but that's not how we do things in the U.S. We have the Electoral College, um, which we're not going to get into in a lot of detail. If you're interested in that, uh, Ann Bowman does an excellent job of going over that in our what's next um, conversation we had. But Greg, here we find ourselves in what I think is the, you know, just to kind of get it out, the, the elephant in the room out there from my perspective, we're in a really dangerous point um, in American politics and in transition of power and in kind of the stability of the system. And I don't want to be, you know, uh, overreactive or, you know, um, it's hard to know how to talk about these things, I think, given the way we have usually talked about things in America. Yeah. But I have to say, I'm, I'm really concerned. I mean, and given that the audience expects us to tell them what we really think, I'm, I'm scared about what the next two weeks are going to look like. I'm uncertain about that it being a peaceful transition of power. It's something that I've, I've been concerned about. I'm worried about scattered violence and violent protest. I think the White House has moved to barricade the, the White House. While that makes some sense, I think, um, and there's probably some good reasons for that, is, is, is a kind of a bad sign. 
Um, and so I'm really worried about what the next few days and few weeks um, are going to look like. So let's start there. What are you kind of, where are you and how do you kind of see big picture where we are before we start diving into all these specifics? Well, you're not the only one who's worried about what's going to happen in the streets because in most major American cities, storefronts are being boarded up for fear of, of demonstrations and violence in the streets. Uh, I cannot remember a, a presidential transition in my lifetime in which that occurred. And I lived through Bush v. Gore in 2000. Were you a sentient human being in 2000? Were you? You have to define you, sentient. I was 13, so you were, no would be my right, takeaway. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you were a semi-sentient human being, but really didn't care that much about politics, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, yeah, I, I, there was nothing like that with Bush v. Gore. And, and so, yeah, it, it's very worrisome. Uh, I think you'd have to go back in American history to 1876 to a time when the, the, the electoral college situation was as uh, unclear and the, the transfer of power, this is the Tilden Hayes election, mm -hmm. uh, was as unclear as it was. Uh, but I, I think we're, we're going to have a fairly clear sense of who's going to have a majority of the electoral college votes. Uh, it appears that Biden has pretty good leads, uh, particularly given where the outstanding uncounted ballots are in Nevada and Arizona. Uh, Wisconsin has been called by uh, a number of news organizations now with almost 100% of ballots counted. And I think Michigan looks good for Biden. He's ahead and most of the uncounted ballots are in Wayne County and other areas around Detroit where he's run well. I think North Carolina and your home state of Georgia are pretty solid for the president. North Carolina seems very clear for the president. Georgia, there's you know what, a hundred thousand outstanding ballots or something like that, and 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 uh, maybe more than a hundred thousand, and and the president's up by about eighty thousand. So I guess, and it, it, I think most of them are from DeKalb County. So it's possible that that Biden will will get closer. The president's campaign has already said that they're going to ask for a recount in Wisconsin. The Pennsylvania is, of course, the big kahuna. But if things break the way I just said, Biden gets 270 no matter what happens in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, because he got that one Nebraska electoral vote from the first congressional district in Nebraska. <laughs> that would be the difference. If he doesn't win Pennsylvania, it's so crazy. Which is crazy. It's so crazy. What a crazy system we have. I, you know, my first takeaway from this is that uh, Trumpism is bigger than Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that, given if this if this election result had come out the way it's come out, and we hadn't had COVID, I might have said, well, okay. We're a pretty divided country, and uh, you know the economy would probably have been doing pretty well. But with COVID and the collapse of the economy, the fact that the president was able to do as well as he did to beat expectations all over, I think means that Trumpism is bigger than Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, think I mean, just think uh, as I think about it, 
he increased his vote share in Florida from 2016. He increased his vote share in Ohio. He increased his vote share in Iowa. In Texas and North Carolina and Georgia, his vote shares are almost exactly the same as they were in 2016. There was no peeling away from the president in, in a number of states that are bedrock Republican states. Basically means that the Republican party has become the party of Trump. And it does seem to me that that probably lasts beyond the presidency of President Trump. I mean, I assume that Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th, one way or another. Uh, but this was not a repudiation of President Trump. And for all we know, he might run again in 2024. He will certainly spend four years trying to undermine the Biden administration. Uh, it's also clear that uh, it seems to me the Republicans are going to hold the Senate. And that means the Biden years are going to be relatively unproductive because we, we know what Mitch McConnell's philosophy is when he has a Democratic president in the White House. It's not to work with that president. It's to try to stonewall that president and, and make that president a failure. Uh, it'll be so interesting to see how judicial nominations are handled. Uh, but we know uh, in Maine, Susan Collins has held on. Uh, her opponent, Sarah Gideon, just a couple of hours ago conceded. Uh, it looks like Tom Tillis is going to win North Carolina in the same way it looks like President Trump's going to win North Carolina. You can tell us about the Georgia Senate seats, but it, it looks to me like Purdue is going to get the 50% and Ossoff uh, won't get a runoff. That's right. Kelly Loeffler will be in a runoff with, uh, with the pastor of the, the, the Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, I forget his name. Do you remember his name? I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm going to have it for you momentarily because I have some nice uh, mm. nice graphics that uh, actually Google um, makes it really easy. So um, uh, one we, can, we can use and... the Google graphics until, you know, the antitrust suit breaks up Google. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... uh, David Perdue is currently at 50.6 with 95% reporting. So, yeah. you know, um, it's close. What's the name? What's the name of the? But the other one will be Warnock. Warnock. Uh, so, so yeah. Mr. Warnock will go against Senator Leffler in the runoff in January. We'll see. We'll see how that works. But right now, the Republicans uh, or the Democrats are just plus one in the Senate. And they had to be plus three to get to fifty-fifty, and have presumably Vice President Harris be the tiebreaker in the Senate. Uh, so the Democrats, I believe, will hold the Senate. Uh, and so I, I don't think a, Bi a Biden administration will not be able to enact uh, a legislative program on issues of taxes, of equality, of racial issues, of climate. And, uh, and that's a, well, for you and me, that's a shame. But I think for Republicans, that's, well, that's what they wanted. And, and yeah, you know, the pollsters are, the pollsters are just to have complete egg all over their face. I think that they just have to, they have to go back, they have to do a zero based budgeting forensic, right? They can't, they, they just have to throw out everything they've done, just throw everything out yeah. and start over. I mean, the national, 
polling average for Biden was nine, nine points, nine point advantage. And he's going to end up, you know, when the votes, when all the votes are in, he's probably going to have a bigger margin than Hillary Clinton did, right? Maybe 3%, maybe 4%, but that's not 9%. So right now it's just a touch over two. Yeah. 2.1. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of California votes to be counted. It's not going to change anything, obviously, because California, maybe it'll change a couple of congressional seats, but that'll add quite a bit to Biden's total popular vote, uh, I think. So, you know, it could be 3 million, could be 4 million uh, by the time the, 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 the election is over, but it ain't going to be nine points. So, yeah, this, this is... Uh, the, the immediate question, I think, is how many Republicans support the president's notion that uh, he actually won the election and that uh, ballots counted in Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona and Pennsylvania have to be thrown out. Uh, so, yeah, I think we just have to kind of go into it. Um, and I think it, it's clear to the audience they've been following us along for six months, but and, and I have not been quiet in my criticisms of the president. I, I think his he should have been removed from office after the end of the impeachment process. I don't think he's fit for office. I think that's clear by any kind of honest assessment of the facts on the ground. So I think just to, to kind of get it out there, I mean, I think you can tell from our tones, but this is this is a president that we think is, that I think is a danger to the way in which we have balance of power, a danger to the way in which we do our democracy. These are not new criticisms that I've offered. So we see this as a, a, a real challenge to our ability to continue to effectively govern as a country, to maintain our stability and well-being in the world, and to protect our democratic institutions. I mean, this is, this is not a a typical, what we think of as a Republican and Democrat election. I think everyone's kind of aware of that, but I just want to kind of be honest about that, um, that, that this is, we see this as a real concern and that's part of the reason why it's framed in the way, in the way that it is. And, and, what and, I, a, president, and a president who failed the, the main leadership test he faced, which is COVID. Well, and so even moving forward with the election, um, I'm, Isaac, we were laughing about uh, the, temp, the Texas A&M article and what's next, but what I, what I was worried about is given the president's behavior, if it was close, what would he do? He would immediately claim victory and counter and sue because that's what he's done his whole life. Those aren't, this isn't like a subjective thing about him. This is how he's engaged in business and legal affairs his entire life uh, as, a, as an adult. So that was what I assumed that he would do. And this is kind of the path that he's taken. And that, even among conservative commentators, is recognized as dangerous mm. and harmful to uh, our democracy and harmful to our norms and harmful to you know, tra you know, peaceful transfer of power, all of these things. And it's, it's really concerning that he continues to behave that way. But to, to your point, it's really concerning that he's convinced such a large percentage of our fellow Americans that this is the type of America we want. I mean, these are not traditional American values um, of, of appealing to authoritarians, of complete failure to be able to respond to a public health crisis. I mean, these are, these are not traditionally 
things that we want from a president. It's, you know, we don't even mention that he lies all the time anymore because it's so commonplace that everyone has agreed that he just lies all the time. And so we didn't want, we don't need four more years of this from our ability to effectively govern. But even to that, to your point, you know, with the split, with the split governance, this is presenting real, this is still going to be, even if, even if the vote plays out like it's looking, Joe Biden takes 270 plus, is declared the winner. You're likely to have a Senate that is still majority Republican. Mitch McConnell has a history of demonstrating how he does governance. That's not like a subjective interpretation of how that plays out. And so even now what we're looking at and what I would consider a, a best case scenario for the governance of the United States is a one-term Joe Biden and a, a Senate that it will be obstructionist the whole way when we have clear and pressing problems that I, it, I'm not sure how we're going to have the political will to begin to even address the most glaring ones. Well, I and think that there's, good. I know it's not good. Uh, I just think that there's a fundamental divide over what even defining the major problems in the country are. Uh, and, and that's, that's unfortunate. We'll, we'll see. I mean, perhaps Biden can pull a rabbit out of his hat. He's, he, he, claims that you know his great strength is working across the aisle he learned to do it in decades in the senate mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to be the senate that joe biden you know cut his teeth in back in the 70s and 80s well uh, not getting the same not and not getting political responses to the senators that they should adjust their behavior i mean these people who protected the president during the impeachment proceedings after impeachment and voter removal they were rewarded with re-election. They all won. Susan Collins, Tom Tillis. Uh, you know, the only ones that lost are are the uh, Colorado and uh, and Arizona. Uh, so, what it feels a little bit like today is the is when we've had the public health experts on, and the public health experts have been like, "Hey, everyone needs to be wearing masks." Like, no joke. This is not a political partisan thing. Everyone should wear masks. We should figure out how to manage lockdowns when appropriate. But in general, everyone needs to keep their distance and wear masks. This is not a politicized thing. But then this this was politicized. And you see like public health officials, like their minds are just like, I can't take this anymore. Why are you attacking us? And it's killing Americans. And this is the this is the kind of mindset I'm in when I'm thinking about the election and all the different scenarios. So I wanna I wanna play through a little bit of why I'm concerned about the next couple of weeks and what the different options of for Americans as this is playing out. And then I want to get some of your thought on it. And then I know you have a few things you would like to just kind of touch on as well. So let's make sure we, we touch on those. But the way I uh, approached this election uh, from the beginning was as a, as a studied person who studies social science with data and who has a lot of training in statistics. So the way I thought about this was, there's a lot of uncertainty going into this election. There's a wide range of potential outcomes. But for America to be able to effectively govern and interact with the rest of the world that is beneficial for democracy and mitigating climate change and improving kind of the general human condition, right? And, fun and, and general governing functioning, what I thought would help with that was a, a blue response that says these types of governing practices are not what we like as Americans. We may disagree on policy, 
But as Americans, we like our general kind of version of democratic governance that we have, and we don't like the ways in which Donald Trump has embarrassed us abroad and perverted some of those democratic norms. So what I thought would be helpful for the country in response to failed response to the pandemic and all the other things going on was a blue wave to show that Americans weren't okay with these outcomes. And a, and a large and decisive win by Joe Biden, which I thought left Donald Trump without a lot of options in the aftermath of the election, because it would be clear, clear repudiation of his way of governing in favor of a different way of governing. So that didn't happen, right? So what that means is if I had an expected value of, <clears throat> of what might happen, I've, lo I've lumped off now what I thought were probably the things that led us to a most peaceful, safe, next outcomes. Mm -hmm. So the only way to interpret that as a person who teaches statistics to my students is that my, the, the, what I expect the range of outcomes to be next, uh, and, and on this range, what I was trying to maximize was like peace and security and democratic governance and liberty, just so we're clear on what my continuum was. So the expected value for those things is going down and what's and, and and I think it's actually even worse than the polls being so off that Donald Trump and the Republicans had a clear this is how we're going to govern because then there could be like organized responses for those of us who think that's the wrong way to govern there was it, but the actual system of transfer of power and elections is more has more uh, integrity or is, is able to maintain that, I think, in an easier way than when the mechanisms themselves are going to be uncertain because of how this is going to play out. Because these states, even if they break in the way that they're looking right now, we're not talking about huge margins. It's not like there's a reasonable concern about each vote's uh, um, outcomes being uh, close. Like Wisconsin, for example, is, is really close. I mean, in some scheme of things, these are really close. This sets up for a situation where both candidates feel like and their supporters who 80 plus percent of which both thought their candidate was going to win can claim victory and continue to claim victory. And that situation, I think, leads us to something that uh, it could, could potentially be a catastrophic like breakdown in governance and our ability to function and have a meaningful transition of power. Um, you study international affairs <laughs> to, and see how this plays out in other countries. Am I like way off base? And if I'm not way off base, like what are the realistic, what, what are your concerns in these scenarios where it remains really tight? Donald Trump does not concede. Joe Biden does not concede. And both of them feel like they have a legitimate claim, even if it's certified for say Joe Biden this is also plays right into Trump's narratives of the Associated Press and the media being biased and those crazy Democratic states are stealing votes. So like play this out for me, given what how I expect the current president to behave, given how close it is. Help me. <laughs> well, sometime in early December, the electors will assemble in their state capitals to cast their votes. And the question is, in some of these close states, uh, like a Wisconsin, where, which has a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature, uh, will the legislature 
try to send a Republican slate of electors. Well, they appoint a Republican state of slate of electors, whereas the governor and the secretary of state certify a Democratic state of elector, slate of electors. This is this is one of the disaster scenarios that you know some of the articles in the lead up to the election talked about, and and it's why it's why you know you and I hoped that Biden would have a sweeping victory. And frankly, my, my second, well, my second alternative was Biden winning in a squeaker. But, you know, if Trump was going to win, I wanted him to win clearly. And so there wouldn't be anything on our side as to this was stolen, right? Uh, will, will the Pennsylvania state legislature, will the Wisconsin state legislature, will the Arizona state legislature try to appoint Trump electors when the election system, like the secretaries of state, certify the Biden slate of electors? Do we have two slates of electors meeting in the state capitals in early December and, and sending their votes off to Washington? This is, this is the, I think, the worst case scenario. Look, we do recounts, right? We've, Recounts are something that happen relatively frequently in American politics. Fine, recount the Wisconsin vote, right? Recount the Arizona vote, recount the North Carolina vote. Uh, but, but the whole issue of dueling electors would be the indication to me that we are in a, a really unprecedented political situation. And then, and, th and then, you know, what, what happens when we're in unprecedented political situations? We go to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure that Democrats are gonna have a whole lot of confidence in the Supreme Court. After Bush v. Gore, after Merrick, Gar uh, Merrick Garland didn't get a hearing, after the way Amy Coney Barrett was appointed to the court, you know, two weeks before the election. And then we just keep our fingers crossed that, that we have a political system that enough people still have confidence in. But you're right, I mean, this is bad. And what we, what we actually need is we need Republicans, Republican politicians. If, if the president is on the wrong end of 270, which you and I think is probably likely, if he's on the wrong end of 270, we need Republican politicians to say, to get up and say, I just called President-elect Joe Biden to congratulate him on his election. I hope we see that. I hope it's not just Mitt Romney who does it. So I wanna think through a line of reasoning with you to see what your thoughts are on it. So let's imagine a country that leading up to an election, the current head of state, is able to force through Supreme Court nominees and an election clearly goes in the other direction, but it's it's sued up until it goes to a Supreme Court. The Supreme Court packed with those people as part of that process on the Supreme Court gives the election to the person who by clear indication of vote doesn't deserve it. Now we're in some weird territory at this point. The thing that you said after that was, then we have to hope that most people still have enough faith in the system, right? 
And my response to that is, do we still have faith in the system at that point? Like, how far do you follow a system off a road um, when what clearly, like, if you and I describe that about any other country that wasn't the United States of America, and you said to me, like, at what point is your system so utterly broken that people should quit pretending that it's not broken and demand real efforts at systemic reform? The case that you described doesn't seem unlikely, completely unlikely. It's probably not the most likely outcome at this point, I don't think, but it's certainly in the realm of probable things that could happen. I'm not so sure that my response from that is that I hope people continue to have faith in that particular version of that system. Like at some point we have to demand some sort of reasonable accountability to majority vote, democratic accountability. Like this is blatant corruption um, that, that is called out all over the world that we can't continue to just tolerate if it plays out in that way. You know, most countries aren't, demo aren't democracies. Yeah, for sure. And and people tolerate authoritarianism all over the world. I think the question is, do Americans tolerate moves toward authoritarianism, anti-democratic moves? There's all sorts of anti-democratic elements in our political system, as we know. But the idea that the person who gets the most electoral votes shouldn't be the president would be a pretty... It would, it would be unprecedented, right? I mean, we've had plenty of times in our history with the person who didn't get the most votes but got the most electoral votes became president and the system survived. But I mean, what are the alternatives at that point, Justin? I mean, wait for the next election. Uh, at what point do people say voting is not the way that you can affect change in this country? And then things get really dicey. You know, mass demonstrations. I'm, you know, I'm a small C conservative. I'm profoundly conservative. And it's because I think I've studied a part of the world that is so politically unstable, the Middle East. You get people out in the streets, you know, good things can happen, but a lot of bad things can happen. And I, I don't, I, I don't know what happens at that point. If, if the scenario that you lay out, where it's pretty clear to objective observers that by very small margins, Biden won enough states to get 270 electoral votes, and that that result is then overturned, what do you do? There are, there's, a, there's a Democratic House of Representatives that can pass all sorts of legislation that will die in the Senate. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it is do you, do you take what is uh, euphemistically termed in comparative politics literature, extra parliamentary steps to try to change politics? Well, you know what that means. That means clashes in the streets. It means, it means encouraging the military. It means encouraging the military to step into politics. These are unprecedented things in America, and they're frightening. But I don't know if waiting four years for the next election, next presidential election, is going to change anything if the scenario that you lay out occurs. And well, then, 
And then we're and then we are in the position of a number of countries that comparative political scholars have have been studying, right? The kind of hybrid regimes, the soft authoritarianism, the quasi-democratic authoritarianism of a Turkey or a Poland or a Hungary, right? Regimes that come to power through democratic means and then try to change the underlying assumptions of the rules of the game to ensure their to ensure their power going forward. They still have elections, but the opposition doesn't really have a chance to win power in those elections. Mm -hmm. uh, look, I, I'm not saying that that won't happen. I don't think America is blessed by God with, with some unique ability to remain you know, immune from these problems that, that afflict other countries. Well, we failed our governance test this year. I mean, yeah. not, only, not only do we not seem like a, the chosen people. <laughs> I mean, as bad as any modern Western country and Eastern country, we, yeah. we, we it's just, the COVID has been a complete and utter, not, not, just, not just like incompetent failure. And this is the part that comes back to the governance reasons why some of us in public administration are, are, abandoning our attempts to pretend like we're neutral because it's not neutral when it's dramatic attacks on the on our system and on our public servants and you know with the way the response to the pandemic played out was borderline criminally negligent um and seems to have been designed in a way to dampen down any spread of information about the virus because of fear of it harming the stock market seems to be systematically the explanation for the behavior and 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 so what what makes this moment so i think frightening to me is conditional on that the way that this is being discussed and the way that we're gathering our information as americans americans want in almost a majority this to return, um, which, and when you, when, you, when you match in the hyper-partisan piece of it with it, I just want people, the people that take the time to listen to us, to know that this is not normal and that it's not just going to be resolved in two days. It's very unlikely. Mm -hmm. And people should be prepared to have to ask themselves these questions and be prepared for the range of, of things that might come because we keep stumbling into the, these places where we say that can't happen to us, that can't happen to us. And it's just a lack of imagination as Americans. And independent of where you stand on who you support in this election and your reasons for it. And I understand people have lots of reasons for why they might've supported different people in this, in this, in this race. You don't want your country to fall into this place where there's no queer transition, peaceful transition of power. It is how you have failed states. It is how you get violence in the streets. It is how you have mass chaos and things breaking down. And I wouldn't put that as the expected outcome, but it is not a negligible thing that people need to be preparing themselves for and, and be thinking about and being concerned with. Because if people don't need to be caught off guard, this is something that can happen to America. It is currently happening to us. Yes, I, I, I mean, I agree. I don't think that that's the most likely result. 
but it, it, it's no longer responsible to say that that's an impossible result that, that we shouldn't, there's no need to think about that. Yeah. And, you know, massive peaceful demonstrations, if it appears that the candidate who, by any kind of objective observer standards, won a majority of the electoral college vote, is not going to become president, is I think kind of the minimum. I, I'm not a demonstrator, as you know, <laughs> small C conservative. I'd go out for those. I put on a mask. I go out for those demonstrations because that's fundamentally different from the candidate who didn't get the most votes gets to be president because of our crazy electoral college system, right? That's happened twice in my lifetime. It's happened twice in your lifetime, even though you weren't sent to it. <laughs> I wasn't voting uh, in the first round. But, yeah, uh, it has uh, happened twice. Uh, and so I, I, but I don't know what good that does. Yep. You know, massive public demonstrations in the face of a concerted minority intent on retaining power, the track record is not perfect in reversing that. Yeah. So I think I've made my point. Yeah. And I don't want to be doom and gloom the whole time. And uh, anyone that's been paying attention knows, uh, probably likely knows at least my concerns, but I wanted to, uh, I felt kind of the obligation to paint them out what I, what I'm actually concerned about in the, in the following weeks. And, um, but let's, let's come back to what maybe is, a, is what I would think if you made somebody place a gamble is a more, uh, it pulls away from that dramatic scenario on some different variations. So let me play you out a different variation and you can tell me what you think of this one. Another one is that it's really clear that um, the, to an objective viewer in this case that Biden wins, although it's close, the White House is barricaded in. Donald Trump's camp refuses to accept it because the Democrats are stealing the election and the belief that there's widespread corruption. But for the most part, there's not a lot of support for that notion. That also can be really ugly. You can imagine the president tweeting out uh, for people to come show and rally their support, come armed, come surround the White House surround your capitals, surround these other places with your weapons. The deep state is taking its revenge on me. You can see that the uh, fake Associated Press had made, has made this determination. You knew it was close. You were all watching election night. Um, so go to the streets. We, we insist on another term because this one's been stolen from us. Walk me through that one, because that one's not quite this electoral college issue, right? This is a, a slightly different thing that is also going to, could potentially be, I think, is plausible, still has, is, ends up with Joe Biden as the, as the declared president and electoral college going in that way, but does just incredible amounts of damage between now and then to all kinds of things that you might have mentioned from widespread pardons to siphoning off more money, to agitating allies and spilling, uh, try to embolden um, our adversaries. I mean, you can imagine a whole litany of things that someone that was feeling um, 
how the president might would feel based on how he's already reacted to how some of this is playing out might behave. So this isn't the way, way out there, I don't think. I think this one is much more in the realm of a possible scenario that is a few times more likely than the other one I just described. It all depends on the Republicans. It all depends on Republican office holders because the the electors will be certified in and will meet in early December. If the state legislatures of Arizona and Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania don't try to interfere with that, they accept the fact that as we think Biden will win those states or we think he'll he'll win Arizona and, and Wisconsin and Michigan and we think he has a decent shot at Pennsylvania. Uh, if they stand if they if they do not appoint alternative uh, slates of electors, then and and the the Republicans in the Senate and the House open those ballots in the in early January in front of the new Congress and and they count those ballots and 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 the, the Speaker of the House declares that Joe Biden is president and the president of the Senate, who is Mike Pence, declares that Kamala Harris has been elected vice president of the United States because the, the vice presidential votes are counted in the Senate, the presidential votes are counted in the House, right? If that happens, then it doesn't make any difference what Trump does. He can call on all sorts of people. He's he's done. And, and at that point, he becomes, his, his, his orders become illegitimate. But that depends on Republicans standing up for the system and against Trump. And that's hard to do because Trump was not repudiated at the ballot box. He just lost a really close election. And the Republican party, you know, this is, as I, I said earlier, I think Trumpism outlives Trump. And if that's the case and Republicans decide to, to not play the constitutional role that one would, uh, that I just laid out for them, then we're back to scenario one. All right, well, um, yeah, that one seems much more likely to me, but let's come, uh, let's play on one. Do you think if, if, the, if the major Republican office holders in this country basically play their constitutional role. Do you think the president calling for massive armed demonstrations will lead to massive armed demonstrations? And what would those, what would, against whom would those people be demonstrating? Would they, would they go to Congress and try to intimidate the Congress? Would they, I, it's, it's kind of hard for me to see exactly what they do. I don't know. Well, I think there's a good argument that the GOP leadership has already abandoned their constitutional role when they had the opportunity to remove him from office upon clear evidence of impeachment. So if you start there and the other things that they have defended in the process, um, it's unclear to me that any reasonable amount of them would break with the, with the president. Uh, when, when push comes to shove, because I think they had a couple of opportunities where the Constitution was was arguably on the line, and they chose to stick with Donald Trump. And so I don't see any evidence. Marco Rubio was supporting 
and giving kind of uh, positive to the narrative that the Trump supporters surrounding the Biden bus in Texas was okay. Yeah. And they were okay with breaking all their own commitments to this way they would handle a Supreme Court nominee and were not stirred to action to remove Donald Trump from from office to to rectify the governance situation. I have no confidence that that the the GOP leadership will do anything but follow Trump wherever he chooses to go. I, don't, I just don't see any evidence that they've ever drawn any other lines. And this line would cost them even more than those lines did to break with him. So I don't see any evidence that if we get in a situation where either the Senate or the Supreme Court is the decision-making body in this situation, that um, that we're in any comfort that what they would do would be protect the ballot and protect the Democratic voice. There's no evidence for that that I can see. So I think the another scenario um, is one which um, it becomes clear that Biden wins and maybe he wins also uh, Pennsylvania and maybe Georgia and North Carolina end up being really close, uh, like really, really close. It's not as much of a nail biter as it looks right now. Trump calls for a couple recounts. They're recounted. It you get the same thing, and then um, then I think there's a situation in which he continues to claim fraud and continues to claim that the election was stolen, but actually doesn't um, doesn't try to remain in office. Right. Um, but I have to say, even saying it out loud, I'm not sure where he stops. Like if you ref- if you continue to claim that it's fraud and it's stolen, when do you walk away? And it's not clear to me at what point in that he walks away. I think he he walks away. He uh, he might resign the presidency, so he doesn't have to go down to Capitol Hill with Biden on inauguration day, or he might just you know be in Mar-a-Lago when his term ends. He won't do the symbolic things that we expect defeated presidents to do, which Jimmy Carter did, which George H.W. Bush did, right? To, to accompany your successor down to the Capitol and stand there and watch him get sworn in and then shake his hand. Uh, he won't do that. But we, I think we know what he will do. He will declare himself a candidate for president in 2024. He will dominate the attempt to dominate the Republican Party in that four years uh, through Twitter. He will create his own television network because he believes Fox was uh, insufficiently supportive. Uh, that one American network, I assume that he'll come into some relationship with them and it will become the Trump network. Uh, some of the Fox uh, ideologues will come over to him and he will conduct a political guerrilla war against the Biden administration. And he will attempt to run for president again in 2024 when he will be 78 years old. I, th- I think that that's what he will do. I think that yeah. that's what he's gonna do. Yeah, I think. I think the I think only that, problem with I that scenario I think that's the, the most probable outcome of all of this. 
yeah. that on January 20th, when Joe Biden is inaugurated president, Donald Trump will be in Mar-a-Lago tweeting furiously about how this is a sham. Yeah. Yeah, my only, I think when you talk through it, the following steps once leaving the office make sense to me. Like those fit with all the other pieces of evidence I think we have. But I don't think resign is a word he'll ever say. There's no evidence to me that he's ever backed down from a fight. And if you can't or won't back down from a fight, there's no exit. He has no exit. Like if, if, you're, if your strategy is I win or I'm a loser, and that's what he thinks about everyone, it's, it's, there's not a scenario where you leave the White House where you're not the loser. It maybe could be stolen from you, but you're still the loser. Yeah. And so what I don't know about this process as it's, as he, as it's becoming, as it was close, it's going to be close. We're going to have some recounts. At some point, he has to take an action that admits loss. And I don't think he can do that in this moment in time. I don't think, he, I just don't think that's part of his like character. I, I, don't, I just don't think that's the way he knows how to behave. But what do you mean? Is his head's going to explode or something? I mean, wow. no, just to be like, he won't. He'll stay and continue to be president as long until until it's like until he's not. And then I don't know how that happens. Like I don't know how you go from I'm here, I'm the president, deal with me, to him not being there, being the president, being dealt with. That's a well, transition. We we've seen that numerous times in American history. On at noon on January 20th, or whatever inauguration day is, you're no longer the president, right? I mean. Nobody pays any attention. You can't give orders. The military will not follow your orders. The bureaucracy will not follow your orders. Yeah, I know. I hear you. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm having a hard time picturing a scenario where the election's clear at this point and he actually recognizes that he lost the election, if that's how it plays out. Um, I think it is just... Sue, 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 refuse to lose, refuse to lose, and then it goes to the Supreme Court because that's his path. And then in that path, he doesn't ever have to admit losing if the Supreme Court goes in the way in which packing the court you think it would go. So I'm just not seeing a way where he actually, like, it's declared he exhausts all his options and then he walks away. It's just hard for me to imagine him doing that. So we're, we're in. We're way out there, Justin. We're way out there. So he sues the Secretary of State of Wisconsin. After the recount comes in and they say Biden still won. Uh, and the Secretary of State certifies a slate of electors for Biden. And Trump goes to court and Some court says, what? What do they say? I, I don't, yeah. it's hard for me to see on what basis he sues. Uh, but it's entirely possible that the Supreme Court will just refuse to hear the case because they don't think that there's enough there, right? You need four justices to take a case. 
And, you know, maybe, maybe he would have four, but maybe he wouldn't, because I think people who are on the court for Bush v. Gore, even though they might be staunch conservatives, I think they understood what that did to the court. Mm-hmm. And one more episode of that. Is they well, don't have to worry a- about court packing because the, the Democrats won't have the Senate, but you know John Roberts won't go for that. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want his court, the Roberts court, to be the one that, you know, ends the role <laughs> of the Supreme Court in American life. I wasn't sure where you were going. I thought you were going with end democracy. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe end democracy. So what other scenarios do you see? So this is uh, the, mo- the one you think is most likely at this point is, you know, we're going to have some official certifications over the next couple of days. It'll be clear that it's 270 plus for Biden. Uh, there might be a couple of recounts. Those will come back the same way because that's how those in- typically work. And then uh, Trump will be tweeting about it, be angry, leave the office at some point and be like, the hell with it. I'm going to run again, yep. make the uh, uh, work out in the news network. I think that is, um, I think that still seems like the most probable yeah. Um, given my own worries about when he might would back down, like how many strategies will he really think he has to play and what, how numerous and if any one of those might break across any of the states that matter. But um, I think that, that that fits with what we would mostly expect at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, I, his, his claim that, you know, you can't count ballots after election day is ludicrous. I don't think any court in America would 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 agree to hear a case based on that argument. Uh, you know, they could they could make some claim that that you know under the Fourteenth Amendment that ballots weren't counted, and and then you know a judge there'd be a hearing, and a judge would say, "Well, it looks like all the ballots were counted." You know, I I don't. Yeah. Yep. It's hard for me to imagine the legal case that he could make that would get to the Supreme Court, right? The legal case in Bush v. Gore was about the nature of the recount, right? It was, do, do, you, re, do you have to recount the whole state or can you just recount certain counties? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what, I mean, I think one way in which it could play out is that, the, that it is so close in the recounts that you could make an arguable uh, that you could, that someone would make an argument that it was in like a, the, the, the difference is so small and we know there's fraud and abuse that we can't detect. And since there's fraud and abuse, then we need to do it all over again. We know there's fraud and abuse. We can't prove it, but we yeah, know it. We know it's there. So I want to look at some of the other scenarios. If it goes, if the actual count comes down and it's Trump, right? It's yeah. President Trump's reelected. So I think there, um, while it's looking positive for Joe Biden right now, um, these these elections are really close. For example, Nevada right now is less than 8,000 votes different um, as one in which it seems like it will go in his favor. Michigan has got uh, more like 45,000 and it's more like a point and 1.3 percentage. So that one you probably feel a little bit better about, but you know, Biden still has to take Nevada. If you don't take Nevada, 
You don't take Georgia, North Carolina. It's going to be Nevada seems like it could be really close. So that in a recount flips the other states go. You're also going to have the left. Pennsylvania would have to go for Trump. Pennsylvania would have to go for Trump as well. And it's going to be about what time, when does Joe Biden um, uh, admit defeat at that point? When does Joe Biden uh, say, we're not going to press this any further? How far does he press it? How far should he press it? I mean, you can imagine it, you know, slightly going in Trump's favor in Pennsylvania and or in Nevada, and both of them looking just like the Trump campaign is going to claim about other states. Some stuff about it maybe looks suspicious when it's all said and done, and maybe there's a hundred thousand ballots missing somewhere, um, right? I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that there was some breakdown in the chain somewhere. And then after after everyone has said which we're said, like once the count's done, once it's over, once the determinations have been made, move on. But all the determinations to an external observer may look like, yeah, but there was 100,000 votes missing. Um, so play, what is, how does this play out? I mean, these can also play out in some really dangerous ways as well um, in the same kinds of ways. Joe Biden has plenty of lawyers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if there's shenanigans, the Democrats will go to court. I mean, I think one of the lessons of both 2000 and 2016 is for Democrats is we're going to we're going to uh, explore every avenue to make sure that all the votes are counted. And I think that that's I think that that's what they do. Then it becomes then the question is, what happens if you're getting close to that date in early December when the electors have to meet to vote? Then then you run the risk of of dueling slates of electors here we are again yep. and there we are again so uh i, I want to make one more point and then any final points you want to make greg um i'll turn to you uh, since i have d- <laughs> uh, structured a lot of the conversation i'm going to go back to being a status uh a statistician <laughs> and thinking about my stat uh, statistics and my distributions and the fact that we've lumped off what i think would have been the most kind of secure and um, pleasant outcome for for governance in America. Um, of these other scenarios that we've played out, we've listed maybe three or four. Only one of them takes us to a place that is at all reasonable, I think, of the ones we've discussed. And even though I agree with you that these other scenarios still seem so far-fetched that that's the most likely one, I don't think it's a majority anymore. I think mm-hmm. it maybe gets 30 or 40%, but I think we're actually in a world now where given the list of ways in which strategies could lead to real serious concern, when I look at the when I look at all the scenarios we pointed out, I, I like your scenario and I like it being the most likely, but I wouldn't flip a coin on it. Um, and so um, I'm hoping that uh, we find a way through this, um, but I'm really concerned. I'll just say amen. <laughs> so we have the uh we have the dean dean mark welsh is going to be joining us for our next scheduled um podcast which is on um november 17th at 6 p.m and we give many thanks to mark in advance for agreeing to do that but i have a sense greg that we'll be back so my guess you, is we'll be back do you have, do you have a special podcast that I'm not involved with? 
I do. Okay. I do have a special one on on uh, the twelfth. The twelfth. That we will be hosting a special episode two, looking at how AI, artificial intelligence, interacts with distance education and learning online, and the trends we see there, opportunities for improvement, and uh, challenges and areas for real concern. Is something that I'll be talking through with uh, online instructor Dr. Brian Nakamura and our director of online education, extended ed, uh, Lisa Brown, and I will be talking about that next week, and. Um, I may not be able to get through the end of the week without having to talk to Greg live again. So there's a chance you'll see us as uh, uh, later in the week, maybe on Friday, if some of this plays out in the way that we're anticipating, uh, as far as the counts kind of being wrapped up, we might check back in for an update. Chance, a chance of more hot takes coming your way. You know, we never pass up an opportunity on hot takes. <laughs> I keep getting interview requests, Greg, and I'm like, no, of, of course I want to interview. Have you met me? I, I enjoy talking in front of the camera. This is not, it's not should be surprising to anyone at this point. My, my shock is they keep letting me talk, Greg, uh, which I'm very grateful for. It's, we hashtag, love our job. Hashtag academic freedom. That's what I have to say to that. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming and listening. And uh, we hope you found it informative. And, uh, you know, despite all our predictions, take care of one another. We're all Americans and we got a really good thing going here all things considered it needs reform and i'm not a small c conservative like greg i'm for <laughs> lots of reform but we have to do it in a peaceful way and we have to do it in a democratic way or the all the paths to violence are really not good and we don't want those in america so take care amen, of amen. all right thanks greg bye bye justin